Hi, Pastor Rob here from Sydney's Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Open your Bibles to Colossians, just a few few books on from Romans. Okay, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear, dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to, f- to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so I'm just going to quickly run through it just to break everything down. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you would uh, help us now just to... um, understand what the scriptures are saying to us in in this uh, book of Colossians. I pray for your guidance uh, to minister this by the Spirit of God, and I pray that your Spirit will come upon everyone here and open their minds to understanding. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Just quickly, I've started this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, as a mutually compatible series to the Uncovering Religion series. This series is for our personal growth as Christians in the things of God and to prepare us for judgment and for our eternal lives in heaven. That's what the whole thrust of this is. And I I really believe that this series is going to be a series that I'll continue for the rest of my life. Preparing Christians for judgment. And preparing and telling unbelievers that there is a judgment coming and you've got to get ready for it. And how do I tell them? By revealing to them the truth. Um, A number of weeks ago I began a study of the book of Colossians. In that sermon we discovered the underlying issues which this letter was addressing. Who remembers that sermon? There was some underlying issues, wasn't there? Paul was countering an early form of Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is where they valued the accumulation of knowledge. So they accumulated as much knowledge as they could about so many different things and thought that through that accumulation that they would find salvation. He also combated other heresies like uh, angel worship, uh, Jewish circumcision and dietary regulations that were being forced upon Gentile believers, as well as mysticism, Greek philosophy, and, and paganism. It's a real mixed bag of beliefs there, isn't it? So there was a strong sentiment towards denying the deity of Christ and the Trinity. Because of all this mixed-up mixed philosophy and belief that they were, they were taking on, they were starting to deny the deity of Jesus. They, they, would, they were getting confused about the gospel because the gospel in its essence is very simple And they were confusing it because they thought, maybe I need to know more than what what is presented here. So it's like it's the equivalent of us saying that this is not enough. There's got to be more than just this. But as I said, this is an endless resource here. You can never, ever find the bottom of it or the top of it. 
sorry, quick question. What did the early Christians have to study if not the Bible? They didn't have like a scriptures to go from as such like we do today. Uh, no, they did. They had letters. The letters were circulating. And there was a lot of letters circulating from the um, disciples back then. And not only that, they had travelling ministers that were constantly ministering, and they were getting ministered to by those that had spent years with the original disciples. So they had, had the scriptures being um, expounded to them, but they had uh, Greek philosophy mixed up in there, you know, Aristotle and Plato, your forefathers. And, <laughs> and that was making it all a bit confusing, because a lot of that stuff is, you know, in comparison to Christianity, is like it's humanistic. And also mysticism. Yeah. So they were being taught that Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross was not enough. And that strict obedience to the law, as well as growing in the secret knowledge, would ensure salvation. So there were, there were these people called Judaizers, which were Jewish men that would come around and they would be telling the Christians that, hey, yeah, okay, yeah, Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for your sins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you still got to obey these things. You've still got to get circumcised like we all have to. And he, these are Jews saying that to Gentiles. And you've got to obey the dietary restrictions that Moses put upon us all. You know, like don't eat pig and, and that sort of stuff. Even though Paul, uh, well, that's where Peter had the vision of all these animals coming down on a big sheet. Three times. Three times. He, and he, and the, the voice of God said, get up and eat. And what that meant was that here's all these animals that Peter had never eaten in his life. And now God's saying, all are good for food. All. What that meant was that salvation of God is coming to Gentiles as well as to Jews. And that we don't have to obey all these older commands. It was like God saying, I've just wiped that dietary regulation stuff. That's what that vision was, was about. So Paul counters this belief system with uh, which they developed called syncretism, which means combining other ideas and philosophies with Christian truth. By stressing Christ's deity and preeminence, his connection to the Father as well as his sacrificial death on the cross. So that's, he started to stress, Jesus is God. He died for your sins. There's nothing else that you can do to get salvation except accept that. That was his thrust of his letter to the Colossians. Please stop the podcast now and watch the video, Introduction to Colossians. Okay, still got your Bibles open? Colossians 1, verses 7 to 8. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. As we know, Epaphras had founded the church in Colossae uh, while Paul was living in Ephesus, where we believe Epaphras was converted. Historians believe that Epaphras was converted under Paul in the city of Ephesus, while Paul lived there. Epaphras visited Paul in Rome while Paul was in house arrest and told Paul about the Colossian heresy. So Paul's letter was very sensitive to point out that he had heard of their sincere love, which they had at first, as well as to acknowledge the faithfulness and authority of Epaphras as a fellow, as a faithful minister of the purity of the gospel. And so Paul was very, very clear to make sure that the Colossians will not only honour Paul and what he's saying in the letter, but also honour Epaphras, who founded the church. Because obviously Epaphras was at his wit's end. Here he was, he's trying to minister to these guys, and they're all confused. They're, getting, they're going in every direction. And Epaphras needed some help. Didn't he? Or else Paul wouldn't have even found out about it. If Epaphras dealt with it, 
and got the got uh, solved the problem, he wouldn't have had to write the letter. But I'm glad he did write the letter because it's helped us. It's this letter is more relevant today than ever because probably in the church today we have more syncretism, and syncretism means other beliefs getting mixed into Christianity. How many Christians do you know talk about superstition or believe in superstition? Like, you know, oh, that means money if you spill a bit of coffee or something. Um, just silly little things that they won't do because they're superstitious. But we're supposed to be set free in Christ. We're not supposed to be superstitious. How many Christians would go and read that book, uh, The Secret? Do you remember The Secret? I was a Christian that read the book, The Secret. Yeah. And you know what? At the time, I didn't see. I couldn't see how new age it is and how corrupt it is. It's not until God dealt with me that I could actually see it. You know? Epaphras came back to Colossae and he had the backing of Paul's apostleship and he would be honoured and obeyed when he confronts the conspiracy there. So we believe that's what the intention of the letter was, the, uh, one of the intentions. The Colossians' love in the Spirit was named, made known to Paul. And Christian love comes from the Holy Spirit. As we know in Galatians 5.22 it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. One of the fruits that you're a Christian is that you will love and you'll love unconditionally and you'll forgive so that's a fruit that we've all got to just ask God to bring more of that up. If we, if we have any bitterness or any resentment in our hearts, we've got to pray, God, this isn't of you. That's evidence that it's not of God, isn't it? Because Christians, true Christians, love. And the Bible speaks of this love as an action and attitude, not just an emotion. How many of you love by emotion only? Probably never thought about this, have you? Or how many of you do you love one another out of action? You act on love, making an effort to reach out and love people. That's a different thing. And I'm not talking about going to nightclubs and trying to pick up people. No, no, there's no love in that. And an attitude, having an attitude of love, just deciding, I'm just going to love people. And you know that person that, spoke to me rudely the other day, forgive him and I'll express love towards him. Love is a byproduct of our new life in Christ. Romans 5.5 5 says, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Christians have no excuse for not loving because Christian love is a decision to act in the best interests of others. And that's what Paul commended the Colossians in. It's one of the things that they did and they were very good at, was loving. So they might be mixed up in other things, but they probably embraced people really well. We had to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Who's, who said that? Jesus. Jesus. How hard's that one? You imagine loving someone who's trying to kill you? Because a true enemy is like on the other side of the trench, you know, and you're shooting them from here and they're shooting back at you. And after you put your gun down at night and have a rest, you start praying for them. And pray for those who persecute you. How many of us do that? If we don't, we should. These are commands of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can only obey these commands by being filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot love like that without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It's, it flies in the face of all reason. <laughs> Doesn't it? So the normal person, that doesn't make sense. What? Love someone that hates your guts. What did Jesus say? He said, 
that by your love, people will know that you are my disciples, the way you love one another. So if we love one another, that is an example to everyone on earth that we are disciples of Jesus. That's probably one of the key things in the church, in in many churches, that a lot of people despise the church today. Why? Because they have seen lack of that. They haven't seen evidence of Jesus in the Christians. Therefore, they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus because if this is his representatives and that's how nice they are, then they judge Jesus too. Mm, Interesting, isn't it? Paul's prayer, this is an interesting one. Okay, for this reason, this is verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now that is one long prayer, isn't it? A prayer point list, isn't it? Point one is pray for them to be filled with the knowledge of his will. So since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. We need to pray for his will. Why do we need a knowledge of his will? And why should we pray for others to have the knowledge of his will? So that we're praying the right things. And also we're living the right way, aren't we? Yeah, so we're not doing the wrong thing. So if I pray that, you know, Nick has the knowledge of the will of God, and if he actually receives answer to that prayer, Nick will live the Christian life exactly. Wake up in the morning, devotions, pray, read the Bible, go out into the street, love one another, uh, embrace people in a, in a way that is brotherly and kind, you know, treat people with respect. I'm not saying you don't do those things, but we could all do more, couldn't we? We could all be greater and stronger in that. The next point is, point two, is pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, wisdom and understanding, which came out of here, which is asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why do we need spiritual wisdom? Why isn't worldly wisdom good enough? It's just not good enough. That's a good answer. Won't cut it. Won't cut it. It's no good. We could all do with praying this for people, couldn't we? If you know people that are Christian, friends, family or whatever, yet they're not showing this, they're not living this stuff, you should get out the book of Colossians and go through this list of prayers and pray this for them. Pray that God will open their eyes. If they claim Christianity but they're not living as Christians, they're living a wayward life, start lifting this list up. Point three is pray that they would please God as they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Where did I get that from? Pretty well the same wording. And pray from verse 10. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him. Why should we pray for someone to please God? Obvious answer. So it can be safe. But you know how many Christians probably don't please God but still get saved? Um, Sorry? Builds up their rewards in heaven. Builds up their rewards in heaven. Very good. Exactly, exactly. And um, pleasing God is why we were created. 
Yeah. It's our actual purpose as humans. You know, there's no other reason for your being born than to please him who created you. All these distractions are from the evil one. All the distractions that distract us from that one purpose of pleasing God come from the evil one. How many of us think we've, we're born to become a you know, fitter and turner or a um, carpenter or a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or a music teacher? You know, you can get lost in that and think your whole life is all based around that. That's a distraction to the truth. Yeah, we may need to do those things just to earn money so we can survive here because we live in a money world. But that is nothing to do with your purpose. That has nothing to do with it. That's just a job. So we should pray that Christians will understand this stuff. Pray, uh, point four is pray for them to bear fruit in every good work. Now this all comes out of here. That we bear fruit in every good work. So Christians bear fruit. Christians live to do things for others and, and, and what have you and pray and seek God and, and a whole range of things. But they should bear fruit unto salvation. Point five is pray that they will increase in the knowledge of God. We all need a, a bit more knowledge. So where would we go to get knowledge of God? The Bible. So if a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian and you don't read the Bible, is that a deception? A Christian who is not interested in the Bible finds it boring. Or think they know it all. Or think they know it all. That's the other extreme. But do you know what? How many Christians think the Bible is boring and say things like, oh, I can't read it and I don't understand it? You know what that tells me? That is lukewarm, watered-down Christianity that is worthless and will be discarded in the end. The, the fruits will wither. There will be no fruit. So the knowledge of God is important. Actually, you know what? As you start to study the Word of God, and especially studying the Word of God is something you look into. How do you study the Word of God? How do we understand and make head or tail of the Bible? Who gets lost when they read the Bible sometimes? Anyone? Yeah, there's some of it that's really hard to understand. So do you just haphazardly just read the Bible like a, a storybook? You don't, do you? Because it won't make sense a lot of the time, and therefore you get bored. So what you've got to do is you've got to look into it. You've got to probably ask people, like, you know, I can help you with that. Um, and there's courses you can even find on the internet. With the internet today, is, nothing's out of reach. You can find incredible courses. You know, there's stuff for teenagers. There's Bible studies for teenagers that you can do. John's actually, are you still doing that Bible study I was showing you? It's a bit too full on. It's a bit big. It's what I do, but it. Um, I didn't didn't know how Johnny if Johnny that could. Is full yeah, <laughs> he did a did a few days, didn't he? But uh, there's probably as easier ones for teenagers, and there's um, stuff put together. So don't just haphazardly read the Bible. Go in there and 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 find out ways of reading it. Point six is pray that we will be strengthened with power. Who doesn't feel very good in the morning? Who sometimes feels really weak in the afternoon and just, you know you've got to go out and mow the lawn, but you put it off? Right. Does anyone suffer from lack of strength? Lack of motivation? Okay. Bill doesn't. Man, the amount of emails, I'm thinking, where does Bill, does he actually sell any jewellery? <laughs>
but you know he only looks at really good stuff and some uh you know interesting conspiracy theories so all sorts of stuff he's sending me but it's all interesting stuff and um but it's that alone just doing that is really good for you like listening to sermons he's how many sermons do you listen to a day usually yeah a day that's pretty good so i'm competing with the best in the world when Phil's sitting there and I've got to yeah, speak and he's been listening to, he's the, the guy that you're into, that older bloke? Oh, uh, uh, Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley, he's got, a, lovely, he's got a, a real good speaking voice, you know, one of those, could be a radio guy. He's a pastor there. Is it pastor there, Paul Stanley? Paul Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. I was made for serving you, Jesus. <laughs> Point seven is pray that they will endure with patience and joy. We all need to endure through hardship. And how should we endure in hardship? Patiently and happily or joyfully. Joyfully, because happily and joyfully are two different meanings. Point eight is also pray that they will give thanks to the Father, that they have been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. We should Thank Jesus often. Who thanks Jesus every day? I'm really making it a hands up day today, isn't it? You thank him every day? Every day. Make sure you do. Thank him for everything. Always thank him before you eat. You know, because like food is a precious commodity. Some people in the world don't have that luxury to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And a very large portion of the earth don't eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So when you have food, thank God for what you have there. So Paul knew that the Colossians desperately needed all these qualities and attributes and he made it clear to them that he was praying earnestly for them in these areas. All Christians have the same needs. So when you don't know how to pray for somebody, use Paul's prayers, these prayers. And I think for, especially for Christians. Now I'm going to sort of zoom through to the end. One thirteen, <clears throat> which says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that amazing? He lists the benefits which God gives all believers. These are all benefits now. He qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints and says, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance? We've been qualified. What qualifies us? So how well you remember my communion sermon? The blood. The blood. So, is it because I'm such a nice bloke? <laughs> Couldn't be. I'd be doomed. No, it's because of what Jesus did for us. He qualifies us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It also says in here, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, from Satan's kingdom. For he has rescued us. And having dis- and Colossians 2.15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He made a public spectacle of all the powers and all authorities. When, when, he, when Jesus died on the cross and then was buried and was raised to life, that was a public spectacle to all the kingdom of darkness. Satan was like, I can't grab the guy. It's like, I killed him, I had him, I nailed him. 
It, he went down and everything. He died. He came back and now I can't get him any longer. He's out of my reach. He made a public spectacle. And you know what? That's how we are to him as well. Because Jesus is going to take us the same way. He's going to take us the same way. And you know what? Satan cannot touch us. Yeah, he might touch the flesh. Justin Martyr said, you just destroy this flesh, but you'll never get my soul. So Justin Martyr's attitude was, you know, take this flesh, yeah, but my soul is what's most valuable. I know that. And that's, that's with Jesus. And you can't touch that. Okay, he brought us into his eternal kingdom. That's the other thing, verse 13. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son. Ephesians 1.5 says he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. How's that? Adopted. Who understands the term adoption? Are we adopted into the kingdom of God? Does an adopted child become an actual child of the family? He's considered actual, isn't he? He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And John 14, 2 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I am going to prepare a place for you. Where is he going to prepare a place? Heaven. 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 The Greek word that they translated for rooms is mane. It means room, it means abode, and it means mansion. So Jesus has not, not just died for us, but he has made a room for us, a place in heaven. And he went ahead of us to prepare mansions for us to dwell in. And uh, references to people who have seen heaven have said that they saw mansions and people living in these mansions. Who would like to live in a mansion now? But wouldn't it be great like you would, to have a mansion to live in now? Imagine living on Victoria Avenue in one of those big, giant houses. They are nothing in comparison to heaven's mansions. Heaven's mansions are beyond our understanding. The most beautiful things you'd ever see. They're waiting for us. They're real. They are real. So don't worry about buying a mansion here. Just live in a contented in a little house because you've got a big one waiting for you. He purchased our freedom from sin and judgment with his blood. And that's where in verse 14 it says, in whom we have redemption. Hebrews 9.12 says, he did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered by the, the most holy place, once and for all, by his own blood. And the last one is he forgave all our sins. And we know all about that. In Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Does anyone understand that? How lavish this salvation is. And over the, over the months I want to really hit home what this salvation is and how wonderful it is. And how great that place is that we have, he has bought for us. Well, he purchased us and he's given us this. Man, to be a, a slave of Jesus, to be a servant of Jesus, to be a friend of Jesus is the most wonderful thing and the most wonderful privilege. And if we have to suffer a little bit, a bit of scorn, a bit of shame, a bit of hardship, man, it's not nothing in comparison to what he has for us waiting up there. I agree. Mm. So the highest you can imagine of happiness in your brain is nothing compared to what's uh, waiting for you. What's waiting, yeah. No, there, is no, there is no comparison on earth of heaven. Her earth looks a little bit like heaven, 
rolling hills, beautiful trees. We eat fruit down here. How many times have you grabbed a piece of fruit and it looks really nice and you bite it, it tastes disgusting? That doesn't happen in heaven. Yeah, hope not. Right? The best, most beautiful place you can go to on earth, which is breathtaking, blows your mind when you see it, and the only reason it does that is because God created it anyway, is the least, and even that does not compare to the least in heaven of the beauties and the wonders that await us there. Let's say people that have had experiences that have died or whatever and gone to heaven mm. don't really want to come back. They don't want to come back. No. And uh, they, they, when they spend time there and they live there, there's one book I've read, it's called um, My Vision of Heaven, I think. It's the most beautiful account of heaven. just blows your mind. Because you can't die in heaven, you go in the water and you can stay under the water. And like there's cherubim singing in the air and the, and, and the voices are right through heaven. So everywhere you go in heaven is the most beautiful music you can ever possibly hear, better than anything on earth. And it's just, that's the airwaves up there. And you get in the water and all the sound goes through the water, but it, the, the beauty down there and all the, the way the light shines in the water and everything. And, and this woman was saying that she was just under the water for ages. She didn't even know how long. In the most blissful state. You know, and she came out of a very painful body. She was riddled with pro, um, problems. And then when she's there, she's got no pain whatsoever, but the most comfort you could possibly imagine. You can't... The most comfortable you've ever been on earth doesn't even compare to the comfort there. You don't want to miss out on heaven. So what a wonderful salvation Jesus has purchased for you and me. Let this revelation seep deep into your soul. Dwell upon it. Pray for the, pray these prayer points for yourself and for your family, your friends, and also for your Christian friends that, are, that may be backsliding. How many of you know Christians that are backsliding, not doing the right thing? Yeah? You know a few, don't you? Okay, so that's that's the sermon. Thanks for being patient. I know it was a, because my communion sermon went over time. <laughs> but next week we've got Neil Ryan, and he's a, um, uh, he has become over the, the last few years a real dear friend of mine. He's a lovely man. Spending time with him is always a buzz. Like It's just if I spend an hour with him or something, it goes like that. And um, it's always really fun and He's, he's just a great guy to be with. In the Truth, Judgment and Eternity series, part four of the series of Colossians will be in two weeks. So Neil's preaching next week, and then I'll be doing the my favorite part. This is why I actually started this series. From chapters 1, uh, verse 15 to 23 in Colossians. And it's probably the most inspired and divine passages in all of Scripture. Probably the greatest passage of Scripture in the Bible, if you would believe that. Right, in my opinion, it is. Um, and as I said, it's one of the motivations for me to do this series. I've wanted to get to this passage. It's just so deep, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Now, also in the Uncovering Religion series, in a few weeks' time, we'll be talking about the Illuminati. In three weeks from today, a, a truth about a secret society which encases most secret societies and where Satan has been enthroned. Satan himself is the head of the Illuminati. This society controls the governments of the world and has been the focus of conspiracy theorists for hundreds and hundreds of years. Their agenda, and this is, this is not a shadow of a lie, their agenda is to destroy Christianity off the face of the earth. 
as well as to control the masses through oppression. But 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's said in the Bible. The world is not under the control of Jesus. The world is under the control of the evil one. That's why this place doesn't feel like heaven a lot of the time. Right? We have heavenly experiences, but we aren't living in heaven. Knowing this information can change the way you pray. Knowing how the world governments are set up, how these organizations control the masses can have a very big impact on you as a Christian. It's very important knowledge. You can pray against powers with great insight into how they actually are deceiving mankind. You'll also pray of those trapped in these cults. Remember, even those in the most elite level of the Illuminati are souls that Jesus died for. Uh, thank you, Lord, for revealing to us the truth in relation to this passage of Scripture in Colossians today. And I just pray that you be with all of us as, as we um, go into this coming week. I pray for your spirit to be upon us and I pray that the things that we heard today will have a, a large impact on our life and really fire us up to live for you and to devote to you as we realize that we were created for you, Lord. The whole reason for our existence is to serve and bless you and to please you. So, Lord, just help us to live that out and get that into perspective into our life. If it's not in perspective now, help it to increase this week by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just pray as we watch this video, Lord, that you just uh, open our eyes to uh, the deeper workings of, of things that are going on on the planet all around us and that we're unbeknownst to us and help it to uh, uh, change the way we live, change the way we pray, change the way we read the scriptures and the way we talk to people, etc. So I pray this all in your wonderful name. Amen. So I'm just going to put this video on. It's a really great video. It's a, it's a portion of Megiddo 1. Please play video now. Romans 5, verses 9 to 11. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ and through whom we have now received reconciliation. How many of you just in that quick reading can understand all that? Or at least a bit of it? A bit of it? Did you know that? Scriptures like that, there's quite a few. At, at the moment we read it and go, oh, it goes over the top of my head. And I'm sure there's some really good wisdom in it, but, you know, we, we so easily overlook it. But do you know what? Scriptures like that, if you, are, if you are on your deathbed or about to die or are dead, right, have died, you would wish you spent your life looking into these scriptures and finding out what do they really mean. Because these scriptures will carry you to heaven. How many of us in here are flesh and blood? All of us, aren't we? We're all flesh and blood. How many of us in here, if Jesus doesn't return, will die? How many of us will still be around in 100 years? <laughs> okay. So in 100 years, guess what's going to be the most important piece of information you could have ever learned? 
for all of us here. These scriptures. Because we're all going to face death. We will all probably, more than likely, maybe not, might be a few lucky ones here or blessed ones, will be dead in a hundred years. And then we will have to face eternity. And you either face eternity with Jesus or without Jesus. Covered by his blood or without his blood. This is critical stuff. You're going to have to face death one day. And when you face it, you want to know that Jesus is with you. And that you have searched out his scriptures and got them in your heart. So that the knowledge of him will lift you to heaven. And you won't go to hell. You know what hell is? It's the eternal garbage bin. Actually, it's an internal incinerator. Do you know years ago, before it was illegal, every house had an incinerator in the backyard. And, the, and you saw, saw yours yesterday. And you would take your garbage out. You wouldn't go and put your garbage in a bin out the front to be taken by the garbos. You would take your garbage up to the incinerator and you'd throw it in there and you'd light it up and it would burn all your garbage. And then all the stuff at the bottom you would sort of put into your garden. Right, so where does garbage has always, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, been burnt? So, hell is the internal incinerator, the place that those that don't love God go and spend eternity. It's pretty scary, isn't it? So you want to know that you're going to get into heaven. You want to know now and then hold on to that hope like dear life as if it's a a line hanging over an edge of a cliff and you are holding it. Would you let go? What about if your arms ached? Would you let go? If your hands were burning, would you let go? You would hold on for dear life as they say. And what else would you do? You would climb, wouldn't you? You would want to climb all the way and get off Get off that cliff face and know that you get to safety. So treat Jesus like that hanging line. Cling to him. Cling to him because when we face death, he is the only name that's going to be on your lips. It's not going to be Destiny's Child or you know Beyonce and you know all the things that we run after today, all the acts that people run after today, although I'm probably behind the eight ball on current or some of the current ones Lady Gaga. Katie Perry. <laughs> don't even like to mention her name in church <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay <laughs> enough of that <laughs> okay <clears throat> so I haven't even started my sermon but don't do you, do you get what I'm saying you won't, all the things that we run after today and are showing our interest in and all the magazines that we go and buy and why because we want to read the gossip and all this sort of stuff All of that stuff will mean nothing at that time. And do you know what? To some of us, it comes sooner than we expect. To some of us, later. So what's my job as a minister? Is to make sure everyone that I can be a pastor to gets into heaven and doesn't lose salvation. There would nothing nothing more to break my heart. And it would break my heart for eternity, I'm sure it would. Would be losing any of my actual immediate family, my kids and my wife. Losing them eternally would be dreadful. So what do I do? I tell them, listen, guys, this is, 
you know, and that's why I do the uh, Uncovering Religion series, and I show all the different religions that are happening in the world. Why? Because in the back of a lot of people's minds is, are we really the only way? Is this the only truth? What about Hinduism? Wouldn't Hinduism be good for your soul? Wouldn't Islam be good for your soul? Wouldn't Buddhism, wouldn't that get you to heaven? No, they don't. And you know why? Because we go in there, we find out what they believe, and guess what? Buddha died and went to the dust. He became dust. Muhammad died. At the end of his life, Muhammad didn't questioned his own salvation. Because of the doctrines that Muhammad taught was that you've got to work your way into heaven. There's no salvation in the name of Jesus if you're, you're going to be weighed at the end of your life. And you know what? Muhammad used to have multiple wives, but he also had mistresses. So he committed adultery. So he had the guilt of adultery in his heart. And therefore, when he, he knows in his heart, when I stand before God, I've got this very heavy sin weighing against me. Am I going to stand? That's why at the end of his life, Muhammad didn't even know if he was saved. And he's leading all these millions along the same path, blind leading the blind, and they all fall in the pit. They all fall in the pit. Doesn't matter how many billions believe it, doesn't make it any more valid. Two billion people all go and jump off a giant cliff into an incinerator. Do you go? Just, does that make it valid? <laughs> it doesn't, does it? Only the truth in Jesus will set you free. And only the truth of Jesus will save you on that day. And that's when it counts. Therefore, what does Jesus require of us now as Christians is to live for him. Put him first. doesn't mean you have to, you know, be a a kid that no one else can get along with or understand and you end up a, a loner in schoolyards. No. Actually, I find from knowledge of uh, Leaky, Tessa and, and Johnny that they're very popular among their friends. They've got many friends and they, they've got circles of friends that they, they associate with and they relate to. They're not preaching at them all the time. They certainly do pray for them though. You know, And when the opportunities arise, a lot of the, their friends, when, when they need help, who do they turn to? The, the loyal friends and the, the Christian friends a lot of the time, the true Christian friends, other loyal friends that your friends will turn to. They might not show any interest in Christianity, but all of a sudden, hey, I'm having this difficulty. I, I sense there's something about you. You know, you, you, you always seem balanced and, you know, can you help me through it? And then these opportunities just to speak about Jesus, just to mention Jesus, just where it counts. Explain why you get along in life so well even in the face of trouble and hardship. So that scripture, uh, I'm just going to reread verse 9. Uh, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? In, according to this scripture, when are we justified? Can someone read the scripture again? Since we have now been justified by his blood. Stop. Read it again. Since we have now been justified by his blood. So when have we been justified? Now. Now. Did anyone miss that? On a skim read, you miss that, don't you? Since we have now been justified by his blood. Not tomorrow. Not at judgment day when we stand before Jesus. Not in eternity. Now. We are justified right now. So 
if something happens to us now, a plane careers into this building and we're all gone, guess what? Every one of us here will walk into heaven and we will not be treated as refuse. Isn't that good to know? When you know a little bit about heaven, you know, it's the most wonderful place. You don't want to miss out on heaven. I tell you, no one wants to miss out on heaven. Do you have, who gets bored in life? Put up your hand if you've ever been bored. Come on, be honest. Bored? Matthew, you never get bored. <laughs> Has anyone ever got depressed? Has anyone ever been sad? Okay. Anyone ever cried? Guess what? In heaven, it's impossible, impossible to get bored. Impossible to be unhappy. Impossible to be depressed. When I say impossible, you simply can't. You simply can't. The reason is, is because you, are, you have no sin in your body, so you can't do wrong. You know what causes people to be depressed? Wrongdoing. When you think about the things you've done, it makes you feel bad. One of the main motives of depression. You can't do wrong in heaven. And because when you get into heaven, you've been forgiven of all your sin that you've ever committed, you're free from that burden and that guilt, so you don't feel any badness about anything you've done in life and you're in heaven for eternity and it's just beautiful it's the most wonderful thing you can't cry in heaven jesus says i'll wipe away every tear in heaven there will not be a tear and the food there is fantastic and i was was talking about this i think a week or two ago the food there is amazing you think the tastiest thing you've ever eaten on earth you multiply that by thousands of times and you're going to get just an average flavor in heaven So we have been justified now. His blood has accomplished our salvation now, not in some future time. That's why Islam is not very attractive, is it? You get to heaven, you have to wait till you get to heaven to be judged. And you've got no idea whether you're going to be saved or not. You're going to be weighed. If you're good, you'll get in. If you're not, you won't. doesn't leave much hope for any of them. (laughs) You know, unless they're a little baby and never did any wrong, maybe they'll get in with Islam. But that... God takes all children anyway. The kingdom of God is for such as these. So this is why we can declare now uh, that we are saved. If someone says, are you saved? Yes. How do you know? Because of the blood of Jesus that I believe in. He saved me. His blood justifies us. And we can then say with Paul, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? We're saved from the wrath of God. Would you say burning forever in hell is wrath? Would you call that would you call that wrath? That's the ultimate in God's wrath. It comes upon all those that reject him and hate him. Now, put up your hand if you think that is a fair and just treatment for someone who rejects Jesus to go to hell. Put up your hand if you think that's fair and just. Now, if your hand's not coming up and you know what you're saying? God isn't just. God is just. He has every right. And you know why? Because if those sins aren't cleared and washed by the blood of Jesus, they are repulsive. And God is a just and right God. And because he's so good, he can't let that into heaven. 
someone who's not clean from their sin cannot come into heaven because they would corrupt heaven. They've got to be washed and cleansed first. Then they come in. The reason the hands didn't go up is because it's such a terrible punishment. It is. Of course it is. I don't want anyone to go there. But you know what? There will be no one innocent on that day of judgment. They will all have rejected him knowingly. They would have all laughed and scoffed while on earth when the Christian said, you know, turn from your sin and live for Jesus or else you're going to go to hell. They would laugh and scoff. How many people I know call that a fairy tale? Jesus didn't call it a fairy tale. He's our Lord. He spoke about it often. So if we are justified by the blood of our dear God, Lord Jesus, how much more then can we declare that we are saved from the wrath of God? We are saved from his wrath. I, I just want to say, if you believe this and you can rest confident right now that despite all your sins you have committed and all the guilt and condemnation that the enemy of your soul, who is Satan, will try to make you feel, you are saved. Put up your hand if you believe that Jesus died for your sins. If you know it in your heart, do you know that in your heart is a deeply convicted? Yeah? Well, you're saved. And you can thank Jesus endlessly for that. And you know, the, it won't ever be as clear as when you stand at Judgment Day how valuable His blood is. When you're standing at Judgment Day, you imagine it. Just try to just picture this. You, you're amongst multitudes and multitudes. Millions upon millions, they say, will be standing before the judgment. Billions of people. Now, not how many people are on the planet currently? Six, six billion, right? How many people have lived on the planet? Rob, the way I understand <clears throat> is that there's more people alive today than there ever was combined in the history of the world. They live longer. Really? I don't remember. That's what I, I read somewhere. Be an interesting figure. Anyway, God knows the exact figures. But the, the point is there will probably, if it's just say... There's 6 billion alive today and there has been 6 billion in history. 12 billion. That's a pretty big, big judgment hall. <laughs> That's a lot of people. Now, they're going to be divided. And when they're getting divided, because it says, and I'm going to read it. I oh, know it's uh, Revelation 20. Don't go to it. I'm just going to read it. Just shut your eyes as I read this. It's verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated upon it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. I saw the dead, great and small, the rich and the poor. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. How many of you know that your name's in the book of life? 
If you can put up your hand and say, I believe in Jesus and he died for my sin, you know your name is there. It is there. This is important stuff, I think. And I'm just going to say this too. If you want to know that your name is in the book of life, you know, because even as a Christian, when I read that, I've read that many, many times, that piece of scripture. When I read it, it really grips me. And I always get this fear come upon me. And it's a good thing because it's a checking, you know. Do you fear God, Rob? You know, you're going to stand before God on judgment day. And the book of life is going to be opened. I want to know my name's in that book. Because you know what? The angels will divide the believers from the unbelievers. And there'll be a division. And I can tell you now, because Jesus says, broad is the road that leads to destruction and many are upon it. And they're traveling this broad road and, you know, following rock stars and movie stars and going on that way and sports stars and you name it. They're all heading towards eternal condemnation. So, but he's, Jesus said, but narrow is the road that leads to life and a few find it. Everyone has the opportunity to find it. Everyone gets directed to the signpost. There's the narrow road. Take that one. But only a few dare take it. So that means to me that there's going to be the camp of God, if you want to call it a camp, at judgment. And then there's going to be those that are perishing. There's going to be this small flock in comparison of believers to the multitudes who are perishing. So... This book of life holds your name in it. Make sure you're in there and you don't ever let it get erased. Can, can your name be erased? Yes. Of course. Mm. Of course it can be erased. Because don't some people argue that it wouldn't have been there in the first place? I'm not saying I do or anything. I believe heaven yeah. and the book of life is in time with human time. If you've confessed faith in Christ, yes, you are saved. If you believe with all your heart and you read the scriptures and you're convinced and you're preaching the word and you're believing the word, then later in life you reject his name for some reason or other. You get deceived. You get led astray. Your name will be erased. There's a scripture where Jesus says, I will never erase your name from the book of life for those that overcome a certain church in the in the seven churches in the book of Revelation. So when he uses the word erase, I'll never erase your names if you do this. It means that there's an eraser there. So whatever happens, stay and hold strong to the faith. Never let go of your faith in Jesus. Yeah? Listen to this, Romans 10 verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confessed, confess and are saved. Also you can know that you are saved by knowing that those who will not receive the kingdom of God will worship the beast. Have a listen to this, Revelation 13, 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. And whose names, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain. All people that worship the beast, and the beast is in many, many forms today, and I'm going to go in that, into that in a deeper level at another time. Their names are not written in the book of life. Okay, so I'm just going to read that scripture again. If you've got your Bibles open, try to leave your Bibles open so we don't have to keep finding it again. Romans 5. 
verses 9 to 11. So now as we read this, really tune your mind in. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, that's when we didn't believe in Jesus, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, reconciled means brought together, uh, through the death of his son, through Jesus' death on the cross, how much more, having been reconciled or brought to Jesus, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. To be reconciled to God is, is the ultimate of all religions. But if you're trying to get reconciled to God through your own works, it's impossible. You can only be reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, let's take our communion. Thank you, Lord. Uh, as we take this bread today, we remember that this is your flesh. And uh, you did say that uh, when we eat it, we remember you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Yes. And uh, Nick, the cup. Thank you, Lord, that this um, cup symbolization to represent your blood. And we take it to remember you and your sacrifice for us. That will be forever grateful. Amen. So we'll take the bread and the cup in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.